Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. going to the book of Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 23. Um, I understand that I'm the only thing between you and lunch and I will be mindful of that this morning. I, I do assure you that I like to eat as much as anybody here so I'm not going to preach all the way through lunch. If you help me I'll get excited and preach fast and it'll be over faster than you realize. I appreciate so much uh, you all helping me preach last night this this place would absolutely preach you to death we were in a service not too long ago with a minister that talked about how long-winded he was and i assure you i don't think at his size weight and level of fitness he could be long-winded at this church because you folks just preach uh, a man to death and i appreciate that so much i appreciate brother and sister mcgee all their hospitality and kindness they've been so kind to us to spend time with us and and uh i just i honestly feel like we're with family it's uh, we've only known them a couple of years but it just feels like we're just with folks that we've known forever and i do appreciate that that's the wonderful thing about living for the lord is you have family all over planet earth proverbs 15 and 23 a man hath joy by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season, how good is it? And the writers, obviously, he's preaching there a little bit because he ends that with an exclamation point. He's getting a little revelation. He's getting excited. He said, a man hath joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season. A word spoken at the right time is a good thing. Some of us have trouble finding joy, and we, we need to understand that the answer to our situation lies in our own mouth. It lies in, in ourselves, in our consciousness. Uh, I want to talk to you for a little while today from the topic, what's in a word? What's in a word? You may be seated. I would read in your hearing a scripture that you could probably all quote. Proverbs 18 and 21 reads like this. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Those folks that like to talk are going to eat the fruit of gossip. Those folks that like to build people up with their words are going to eat the fruit of encouragement. See, words are extremely important. Sometimes we don't give them enough credit. We don't give our words enough power. We don't give them enough um, authority in our lives. Uh, the Bible said in Matthew 5 that we were called to be salt and light to the world. We just sung about that, salt and light to the world. And if we're going to be salt and light to the world, it's necessary that we are wordsmiths, that we are linguists to a certain degree because um, I, I've had folks tell me, well, my testimony is enough and folks will see the way I live my life. And that, that's good, the way you live your life. But at some point, people are going to want to know why you live the way 
you do and uh, what happened to make you live the way you do and, and you're going to have to use your words to explain and articulate to them why you live and why you have what you have and and if we're if we're truly talking about words we've got to understand that there are men and women on planet earth that their words hold more power than than other folks there there's some folks words have more power for instance uh, the president of the united states is said to be the most powerful man in the world and if he speaks a word even in passing uh things change the course of countries and the course of history can be changed with just a few words pinned on paper uh, if we pin words about health care it changes the course of everybody in the nation's life or if we pin words on immigration as of late it seems that it's a huge controversy and i remember a president we had several years ago that with one sentence changed the course of Europe for all the time when he said Mr. Gorbachev tear down that wall with one sentence with a few words spoken he changed the course of a world and I think that even in our own lives while we may not be the most powerful man in the world we underestimate the power of our words to turn good days bad and bad days good because there have been times in my own life where I felt like everything was going my way I got up in the morning and everything was uh, in perfect order and breakfast was the best it's ever been and I didn't catch one red light on the way to town and everything was going the way it ought to go and I'd run into somebody on the street or maybe somebody Sunday morning at church and they'd begin to tell me just how bad life really is. They'd begin to tell me about how terrible the state of the country is and how I ought to be down in the mouth and down and out and worried and crying and fretting because we're living in a time when nobody loves God or because everybody's losing their job and what I thought was a great day with a few words turns into something terrible. Then there have been times on a Wednesday afternoon where my whole day's just been absolutely horrible. Everybody I've met's been rude. Everybody that I've met's uh, had something negative to say. I've been thinking about how, how little, how broke I am and how pitiful life is. And I'd walk into a sanctuary on a Wednesday night and some dear old saint would say something like, when I think of the goodness of Jesus uh, and all that he's done for me uh, and with just a sentence, uh, with just a word or two, what used to be a bad day immediately turned into something uh, that was joyful something that uh, brought joy to my spirit uh, that brought a little hop to my step uh, that's the power of a word God knew the power of words for in Matthew 12 and 36 he said we, an we would answer for every word idly spoken that means every word that we speak without thought uh, there will be consequences uh, and repercussions uh, at some point and I began to study in this, if you'd allow me a few minutes to lay foundation on this Sunday morning, I began to study words and the science of words. And you can take any letter from a word and you no longer have the same word with the same meaning. Or if you add a letter to, it changes the integrity of said word. For instance, I was preaching in Texas and I was using this as illustration. I said, if you take the C off my first name, it's no longer Cody or Chad in some instances. And it becomes Odie if you drop the C. And there was a lady, I said, you folks will make more fun of me than you already will with my accent and all my poor grammar. And I made a little fun of the name Odie, and lo and behold, there was a lady sitting right here on the front pew that had an uncle named Odie. She found no humor in it at all. But it's true, if you take one letter from a word, you don't have the same word. It's not the same as it used to be. Or if you add letters to a word, take the word joy, for instance. Joy means to be happy. 
But if you add the suffix F-U-L, you get joyful. And no longer does it mean just to be happy. It means to be filled with that emotion. Understand what I'm saying. You can take a, just a little bit. You still got a word, but it's not the same word. And I, I began to research and study in my Bible. And what happens is uh, folks begin to take the word and they want to take just one scripture or another scripture and they want to base an entire, an entire doctrine or an entire religion or an entire belief system on just one or two scriptures. Uh, and while we still got a little word, we don't have the word unless we're believing everything that's written in the word. To take one thing away or add one thing to understand we could have church this morning if for no other reason than to know we believe the entire unadulterated word of God. Not one I has been undotted. Not one T has been uncrossed. I'm telling you folks, there's power in that word. And so I begin to look through the Bible, and I believe it's a testament to the power of a word because in Proverbs 25 and 11, it said a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pitchers of silver. And Psalms 12 and 25 said, heaviness in the heart maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. Psalm 119 and 11 said, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Matthew 24 and 35 said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but his word shall not pass away. Proverbs 12 and 14 said, a man shall be satisfied by the fruit of his mouth. John chapter 1 said in the beginning was the word. The word was God. It was with God. Verse 14 said the word was made flesh. So when I pick up my word and begin to read and begin to study I have a connection to a living, breathing, walking, working God. That's the power of the word. Every Everything you need, every answer, every situation is in the word I can talk to him through the power of the word and if regular words have that much power I wonder how much power an anointed word written by God himself would have and it lies the answer to every situation we read last night that is sharper than a two-edged sword if we battle fear Psalm 27 said the Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear if we deal with doubt Acts 13 and 39 said and by him all that believe are justified from all things if we deal with judgment and condemnation Hebrew or Romans 8 and 1 said there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Jesus that walk in the spirit and not in the flesh that means when I gave my life to him when I was baptized in his name no longer I'm two seconds from my train of thought being derailed at any point. And that judgment thing, I want to talk about it for just a second. It's free. It won't cost anything, and I'll still shove it in the 30 minutes I'm going to preach. But here's the deal. We got people running around saying, don't judge me. You can't judge me. You can't judge me. The only way you have authority to look somebody in the eye and say, you can't judge me, is if you're walking in the spirit and not in the flesh because the word says there's no condemnation if you are in Christ Jesus. The only way you can look folks in the eye and say you can't judge me is if you've been to an altar and bowed before him and received him through the power of the Holy Ghost in your heart. You want to be able to look flat-footed at people and say you don't have the authority to judge? You can't tell me how to live my life? Then get in Jesus. But 
You can't sit, you can't walk in the spirit and sit in your pew. At some point, you got to stand flat-footed, walk to an altar, and say, God, I'm yours. For better or worse, no matter what happens, I'm yours. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. See, we live in a world that doesn't want to be labeled, doesn't want to be judged. But I'm telling you, I went to an altar, and you can label me Jesus. You can judge me in the Word anytime you want to. I'm telling you. That's free. You're worried about your job security and the poor economy. Psalm 37 and 25 said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. A righteous man is a man that has a relationship with God. I've never seen God forsake those that have a relationship. I've never seen a man with a prayer life wanting for the presence of God. I've never seen a lady that knew how to fast that was backslidden. Oh, you don't like that? We'll move on. If you need guidance, Psalm 119 and 105 said, Thy word is a lamp unto my my feet and a light into my path. Proverbs 3 and 6 said, In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. If you're raising children, Proverbs 22 said, Raise up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart. If you're lonely, Hebrews 13 and 5 said, He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Matthew 4 and 4 said, We cannot live by bread alone, but every word from the mouth of God. I'm telling you, church, whatever your issue is, there's an answer in the word why is that guy screaming and yelling like that because I know what it is to have a bad day I know what it is to be in a Super 8 hotel in Mount Carmel Illinois and your kid wake up every two hours crying burning up with fever I know what it is to put on a suit that you bought last week when J.C. Penney's was closing on clearance and it was such a good deal you grabbed it and ran out the door and on Sunday morning get up and put it on and you wear a 44 short and it's a 52 long. And you got 15 minutes to be at church. But I also know what it is when you feel like everything that can go wrong is going wrong to walk into a service on a Sunday morning and folks begin to sing words and lyrics like you won't relent until you have it all. My heart is yours. And the sweet presence of the Lord begin to move into a sanctuary and everything that was bad, every bit of fatigue, every bit of doubt, every bit of fear, every bit of condemnation to begin to leave your spirit and you begin to worship and praise before him because the answer is in the word that's why those songs like you won't relent are so powerful they are written directly from scripture they are the word of God put lyrically to music and there's power in the word whatever your situation is it's in the word if you need a new beginning it's in Genesis if you need deliverance read Exodus you think living for God's tough now read Leviticus think God can't grow a church read the book of Numbers think he won't grow young leaders read Joshua you need a hero read Judges you want favor in high places read Ruth or Esther, you think you're having a bad day? Read the book of Job. You need a little encouragement? Read Psalms. You need some wisdom? Read Proverbs. You need poetry? Read Ecclesiastes. Love songs? Read the Song of Solomon. Prophecy? Read Isaiah. Think your marriage is bad? Read the book of Hosea. You need a miracle? Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Need revival? Read the book of Acts. Well, young preachers? Read Timothy. Churches? Read Romans and Hebrews. You think God's not coming back? Read the book of Revelation. Whatever your thought process is, whatever your 
situation is, there's still an answer in the Word. If you're down and out, go to the Word. If you're depressed, go to the Word. If you're angry, go to the Word. Whatever the situation is, there's an answer in the Word. I love good music, but when I'm in a in my bind, when I'm in trouble, when I got sorrow and depression and fatigue, give me the word. I think all our good works are incredible. I wish we'd feed everybody in the world on Thanksgiving, but when I'm down and out, when I'm lonely, when I'm cold, when I feel betrayed, give me the word. When my marriage is on the rocks, give me the word. When my children are sick, give me the word. When I'm fearful, give me the word. When I can't get along with my family, my church, or myself, give me the word. There's nothing like the word of God. And so, if the written word of God, 66 leather-bound books of sacred scripture have that kind of power, I wonder what kind of power would be wielded by a word directly from the mouth of God. We don't have to look far in our Bibles. If we can find Genesis, it's really easy. Just open our Bible and begin to flip pages to the left. We get to Genesis chapter 1. It says, in the beginning was, or in the beginning God created the heavens and earth. John's version is phrased differently in John 1. We get to verse 3. It begins to talk about the power of a word from the mouth of God. For it says that God said, let there be light. That means he verbally spoke it. He spoke it out with his mouth. Now, I love to preach about how God's all-powerful. I love to preach about how he's almighty. I love to preach how if there's any power, might, or glory in all the world, it's his. And yet this God who is almighty, all-powerful, a sovereign God, when he got ready to get something done, he opened his mouth and began to speak. I don't know what the light, John 1 says the life was him, that life was Jesus. It was the light of men. I don't know how it came forth from him. I don't know if it glowed from around him. I don't know if it shot forth from his mouth. I don't know if he shot it from his fingertips like an old west gunfighter. I do know that it wasn't matches, flashlights, fluorescent lights, fire. Um, it, it wasn't any, any car headlights. I do know that just before this, it said that darkness was on the face of the deep. That the world was dark. Now, darkness requires no creativity. It's just there. Darkness is the lack of effort. And there's no solution for that at this point. Genesis 1 and 2, we've got darkness. We've got the lack of effort. And there's no solution for it. There's no way to solve the problem of darkness on the face of the deep. And God steps into the picture and it says that he said, let there be light. And when he spoke, there was a solution that had never existed before to a problem that there'd never been an answer to. 
And we walk in the sanctuary on Sunday morning. We say, God, I got problems even you can't fix. Lord, I got issues that humanity created, and there is nothing anybody can do about them. And God's looking down saying, child, I've been speaking solutions to problems that didn't have an answer since time began. Whatever your issue is, if humanity created it, I created humanity. There's no addiction I can't speak a solution to. There's no problem, no bondage. I can't speak deliverance to. But let's explore this Genesis thing a little further. Genesis 1 and 6, it says that he spoke the firmament into existence. Now, this firmament is above the waters. It's a, it's a heavenly deal. And I understand that, uh, that he said, I, I go to prepare a place for you. But now, this firmament, not, it's not referring to sun, the moon, and stars at this point. It's got to be referring to what he started uh, for us to live in. Now, if you'd allow me just a little bit of leeway this morning, uh, streets of gold, walls of jasper, gates of pearl, a city where the lamb is the light, it is is possible that one word from his mouth created this Genesis 1 and 9 it says that he said let dry land exist he's speaking it into existence He's speaking dry land. He didn't say, let Illinois and Louisiana exist. He didn't say, let Texas and Thailand. He didn't say, let, uh, let the Rockies uh, and the Smokies. Uh, he didn't say, let the Himalayas uh, and, 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 and every desert and every crater exist individually. But one word from the mouth of God, he spoke every hill, every canyon, every, in Louisiana we say hollers. That means every low place. He spoke everything we know geographically, everything we've ever discovered was spoken into existence with one word from the mouth of God and we walk in here worried about the size of our problems we walk in here worried about the, 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 the magnitude of our issues okay let's just, let's just take it a little further Genesis 1 and 11, he speaks grass and herbs and fruit into existence. One word from the mouth of God and over 11,000 different kinds of edible herbs and fruit were spoken into existence. Lilies and lilacs and lettuce all existed with one word from the mouth of God. Genesis 1 and 13, he speaks the sun, the moon, the stars, seasons, days, nights, years, the tides, millenniums, decades, all into existence with one word from his mouth. In Genesis 1 and 20, it says that he let the fowl, he spoke the fowl of the air into existence. That means my God that inhabits my praise. When I begin to worship, put the tall and an ostrich and the small and a mockingbird. He put the pink in a flamingo and the black and white on a penguin. He put the song in a mockingbird, the quack in a duck, and the crow in a raven with one word from his mouth. Understand if that don't make you want to worship, I don't know what will. That means that with one word he can fix problems up here and problems back there with one move of his presence he can fix the platform and the back door there's nothing a word from the mouth of God cannot fix but walk with me follow me just a little bit further in this Bible study of Genesis 1. Genesis 1 and 24, he speaks, this begins to speak living creatures into existence. Uh, cattle and creeping things. He speaks every, every known species and strain. Four-legged quadruped as science calls them into existence with one word from his mouth. And he gives us 24 verses. 24 scriptures 
to prove the power that's in his mouth. He takes 24 of the first scriptures in his word to prove the power of his word. And yet when we get to Genesis 1 and 26, he does what would seem the most strange, odd thing that you've ever heard. For with 24 verses, he has spoken everything he wants into existence. He's spoken everything. He's proven that he can create complicated life. He can create hearts and, and nervous systems and, and, and internal organs and, and, and veins and, and all everything it takes for life to live with a word from his mouth. Yet in Genesis 1 and 26, he says, let us make man in our image. He kneels down and says he scoops up dust from the earth. Now, dust is not dirt. Dust is what's left over from dirt. It's as near to nothing as you're ever going to find. He reaches down and he takes just as next to nothing as he can find anywhere and he begins to breathe the breath of eternity into it. Understand the importance that you hold in this world when he could have spoken you into existence, but he chose to take his hands and his breath and to form you and to make you the apple of his eye. And let's take it a step further to prove your importance as humanity. He creates two humans, one from dust, one from a rib. Tells them, take dominion, be fruitful, and multiply. The garden is yours to have and to hold and to keep. It's yours from now on. It'll be the perfect environment, the perfect existence. And those two samples of humanity mess that existence up. Now, what, what just blows my mind with this is we find elsewhere in the Bible that there was a rebellion among the angels that he spoke into existence. And that in one place it says an innumerable group of angels left heaven. Another place it says one-third of heaven's hosts. So let's take the low number at one-third of heaven's hosts. And we flip on over to the book of Revelation. It says heaven's host numbers 10,000 times 10,000. Now, when I was in school, a little school called Nebo Elementary where pigs were on the playground, 10,000 times 10,000 was 100 million. Now, if we divide that by three, chop it in a third, because that's a low number of what got kicked out, 33,333,333.33333 angels left. I've shared this all over the country. If you've heard me say this before, I apologize. It's so good I can't help but preach it. And 33 million plus angels are in rebellion, and God never deals with them. He never says, all right, guys, I'll make you equal to me. I'll give you another heaven over here on the side. I'll give you a place that you can rule and reign, and you, you'll, you'll, have, you'll have followers just like I do. 33 million, he never speaks a word of resistance. He tells them, get out. And yet two humans that he created with his hands messed up in the garden, and he altered the course of history for all time so that they and their descendants could find salvation. If it doesn't make you just beam and swell with happiness and hope to know that you're more important than 33 million angels that God spoke into existence, I don't know what else would make you feel wanted in this world. I'm telling you, you are important. You are wanted. Your salvation is important. 
But as humanity will do, we messed it up again. He gave us the law. We couldn't live by the law. So he said, I'm going to robe myself in flesh. I'm going to come to planet Earth. I'm going to bleed. I'm going to die. And I'm going to be resurrected under my own power so that they can be saved. But just before he does, we get to the book of Matthew. And he's talking to his apostles. And I'm closing. I understand I'm hitting my 30-minute promise here. And, and he's talking to his apostles. And he begins to say things now like, Peter... Uh, up on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell, they won't prevail against it. And then he says, now, Peter, Peter, uh, uh, here's what I'm going to do. Whatever you bind on earth, I'm going to bind in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, I'm going to loose in heaven. He was saying, Peter, whatever you speak with your mouth on planet earth, I'm going to honor it in heaven if you have a relationship with me. If you have formulated a relationship with me, the very words that spoke the universe into existence are going to be, that power is going to be in your mouth. Now, I have a really cheesy illustration that I use all too often, and, and I'm going to use it here this morning because it just fits so well. When I first started evangelizing, I had an old Ford truck that was a piece of junk. Everything on it was broke, but the tires, and it wasn't but just a few months, you could see the air through them. One pastor called it a beater with a heater. I don't know whether to laugh or be insulted. And I'd get ready to leave and go on the road and travel to Indiana or New Mexico or somewhere from, from Louisiana, and my dad would come out and he'd say, Now, son, are you all right? I'd say, Dad, I am okay. He said, now, son, 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 what I'm saying is, are you ready to go? Yes, sir, I'm ready to go. Uh, well, what I'm saying, everything, is everything okay on, the, on your vehicle? Yeah, everything's good. And we'd go through this, and I could go back and forth for 10 years here. But, but it would all come down to one thing. He'd say, son, do you have enough money? I think I told this last time I was here. My God, listen again, it'll be twice as good, I promise. And so... Every time, I'd say, yeah, I've got enough money. I wouldn't have packed the truck and filled it up with fuel if I didn't have enough money. And he'd take a checkbook out. He'd say, if you have a problem, write a check and just sign my name at the bottom. Then call me and let me know what you wrote it for, and I'll make sure there's money in my account to cover it. One time when I was in Florida, the alternator went out on that old pickup. I pulled the checkbook out. I wrote a check, signed his name at the bottom, gave him a call, and you know they let the check clear. Another time I had a blowout. I bought some tires. I just didn't have the money to cover them. I took Dad's checkbook out and signed his name at the bottom. And, and, and here's the deal. Because we'd had a relationship of 20-some-odd years, he knew that I wouldn't write a check out of that checkbook unless it was an absolute necessity. He understood that I'd never been to a church in Mount Carmel, Illinois, and said, all right, guys, Monday morning, we're headed up to uh, Evansville, and we're going to go to the steakhouse, and I'm buying everybody's steaks for lunch. Don't worry about it. I can cover it. My dad gave me his checkbook. Never once did I say, all right, ladies, winter's coming on. You all probably need new purses. Don't worry. It's my dad's treat. He, through the power of our relationship, knew that I only wrote checks if it was a necessity. So even if I didn't call ahead, if there was a check that came through that account in Gina, Louisiana, that had his name, but not quite his signature, he knew to let it go through because it was an absolute necessity. And Jesus, in the book of Matthew, is telling Peter, he's saying, Peter, because of our relationship, I know your heart. And I know what you believe. And I'm giving you the power.
power to write checks and sign my name at the bottom when you have a necessity. And when we get to Acts chapter 3, we find that it works because Peter and John are headed to prayer meeting about 3 o'clock in the afternoon and there's get to the door and there's the same lame man, the same problem, the same issue that they've had time and time again. And he looks at them and he says, do you have any money that you could give a beggar, a man unable to work? And he said, I don't have any silver and gold. This is my version if you'll bear with me. He said, but it just so happens that my daddy left me his checkbook before he left this place. Such as I have, let me write you a check in Jesus' name, rise and walk. And Hebrews 13 and 8 said, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. If it ever worked, it still works in November 2014. There are some of us that ought to stand up flat-footed, throw our hands up, and begin to speak a little word of faith over some issues. Begin to speak a little word in Jesus' name. Write a little check over your problems. See, you don't have to wait on some great prophet to come through and pray over you. God put the power in your mouth. He said, if you bind it on earth, I'll bind it in heaven. If you loose it on earth, I'll loose it in heaven. You don't have to wait on some preacher, some evangelist to come speak into your life. Find your way to an altar and begin to call on that name that's above every name. I hate to leave you all with broken promises. We are... No doubt beyond that 30-minute mark. I apologize. Maybe they'll fry your chicken fresh to order somewhere. But preaching this message puts me in the frame of mind. The greatest message I ever heard was a message on moments. An elder minister was preaching to, teaching a bunch of young preachers, and he said, we live life in moments. He said that we don't live in days or months or decades or even hours, but we live in moments. We always remember the moments. Most of you ladies can remember the moment that your husband popped the question. Most of you gentlemen, you can remember the moment you looked on that firstborn son or that first daughter. You may not remember all the things that led up to it, but you remember the moment. Most of us think about those moments, we get a lump in our throat. And it's true, we do live life in moments. That's why elders in our churches, they live to be 85, 90, and 100 years old in this ministry. We struggle to put together a 35-minute message for their home-going service. It's not because we're inadequate, and it's not because they didn't live inadequate lives. It's because they lived their lives in moments. I understand words are the same way. I can't tell you every conversation I've ever had, but I can tell you the sentence that broke my heart. I may not tell you every word in a conversation that led up to, to, to a joyous answer, but I can remember the words and the way the answer was phrased. I can't remember the entire message that was preached the night I walked to an altar and repented for the first time, but I remember the altar call that got my attention. It's because we live life in moments. It's not days or years. We live in moments. And every time I get in my vehicle and I start to come to a church service like this one, I can't help but with tears in my eyes, ask God, Lord, will there be a moment in this service? Will there be a time 
when your presence begins to move in. And I feel those doodads that are so familiar. Will there be a time that we look back and say, at the end of that service, there was a moment. And I walked to an altar, and I've been praying over the same issue day in and day out. I've been to service many times before, but in that moment, I received a healing. In that moment, I received deliverance. In that moment, I received the Holy Ghost for the first time. In that moment, I remember repenting out loud for the first time in my life. Well, others look back and say, I remember the moment on that Sunday morning in November 2014 when Sister So-and-So walked to an altar and she wrote a check over her son. It was just a few weeks later he walked in the back door of that church. I remember the moment when Brother So-and-So made his way feebly to an altar, but in that moment he received healing. Will we preach about this moment? Will we talk and testify about it? And if that's true, I'm obligated to warn you of the opposite. Because if that moment is here, then there will be some of us that always remember the miracle of that happened in that moment. We always remember the positive, the deliverance. We remember the, the breakthrough we received. But it's also possible we could walk out the back door of this place and say there was a moment. There was a snippet of time where I felt something I'd never quite felt before. I should have gone to an altar because so-and-so got delivered. So-and-so beat addiction that morning. So-and-so got healing. But I didn't take advantage of my moment. And it's never quite been the same. I've never quite felt the same thing, the same unction to walk to an altar and begin to pour my heart out, to begin to pray and begin to talk to God. Are you saying something bad's going to happen when we leave here? My God, no, a thousand times no. I think we're all going to live full lives and be happy, but I want you to be happy and know the joy of the Lord. And I would to God that nobody missed the moment that has moved in this place. Nobody missed the words, the conversation that you could have with God that would affect the rest of your life in this place. Would you stand with me, church? I'm not sure how you normally do altar call around here, but I'd like you to, however you feel comfortable, begin to talk to God a little bit. If you want to bow your head, bow your head. If you want to lift your hands, lift your hands. You don't have to talk to Him the way I talk to Him, but I do want everybody under the sound of my voice to begin to talk to the Lord a little bit. Lord, I love you, Jesus. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.